Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. All right, well, it's that, it's that time of year. Baby dedications and graduations and... It's a good time of year, and it, and it feels like a lot of the things that we had lost are coming back. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, today is the last Sunday of Eastertide, the Easter season. And so it's going to be the final sermon in my series on the supremacy of Christ. By now, it should be apparent that apostolic Christianity makes the most extreme claims about the supremacy of Christ. In Christianity, we don't say that Jesus was just a good teacher. Oh, no. We say the most outrageous things, and we believe them. That Christ is very God of very God, the creator of all things, the savior of all things, that in Christ all things hold together, and that Christ now fills all things everywhere with himself. Rightly is our faith called Christianity, because it's all about the supremacy of Christ, and it cannot be overstated. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Today I want to preach on the things above. Our gospel reading this morning was Luke's account of the ascension of Christ. Thursday was ascension day. The most neglected day on the church calendar, at least in America, especially in America. In Europe, it's still present. Most European nations, it's a holiday. A lot of European nations, kids get a four-day weekend because of Ascension Day. But in America, it's been largely overlooked. Uh, To be honest, for most Christians in America, Ascension Day comes and goes, and they didn't even know it. It's just some Thursday that they were unaware that was important on the church calendar. And that has theological implications. If we don't understand the significance of the ascension of Christ, we look too much to the governments of earth. Instead of setting our mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, we set our mind on things of the earth. And it becomes a problem for us. And if we don't have a robust understanding of ascension, ascension is simply 
in our mind anyway, it's just the absence of Christ. But that's the exact opposite of what it means. The ascension of Christ is not the absence of Christ. Rather, it's about the exaltation of Christ to the right hand of God. What does it mean to be the right, on the right hand? That means dominion and power. And, and where is the right hand of God? Well, where isn't it? It's everywhere. So that is, that is poetic language from the apostle that means that Christ is now given universal dominion. There is no place where Jesus is not Lord. He's exalted to the right hand of God, which is everywhere, and given all authority in heaven and on earth. The ascension of Christ is his, think of it this way, it's his promotion, his elevation, his ascension to the oval office of the universe. Our king is not on Palatine Hill or on Pennsylvania Avenue. Our king is exalted into the heavens at the right hand of God. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So, Christ first descended into death. We've been talking about that all through Eastertide. The Christ descended, this is death down here. I don't know if you can see it. This is death down here. Christ descended into death because that's where we were. Christ comes to ransom us, redeem us, rescue us. He comes and he takes hold of us. I got you. And then he ascends into the heavens. This is the cosmos here. So this icon is, is very well done in that it depicts both the descent of Christ into death and his ascension into the highest heavens that he might fill all things everywhere with himself. That's the ascension. It's also, it speaks to us, the ascension speaks to us this, that Christ is now available to everyone, everywhere, at any and all times. See, sometimes you say, oh, I, I, I wish that I had lived back uh, in the days of Jesus. Well, first of all, these are the days of Jesus, but okay, I understand what you're saying. I, I wish I'd lived in the days of Jesus so I could have been with him. Well, the problem is you'd probably been in Nazareth and he'd have been in Capernaum. You'd have to go find him, you know, and he'd, he'd be here and not there. But with the ascension, Christ now is accessible to everyone, everywhere at the same time. I mean, you have the same access to Christ as Adam and Eve in this icon because you are Adam and Eve in this icon. Adam, Adam, humankind, Eve, Eva, uh, Eva, uh, life, and this, this is you, my sister. This is you, my brother. You have that kind of immediate access to Jesus. He's present. He's filling all things everywhere with himself. And that's why he says, that's why he says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When Jesus ascends, he doesn't say, See you later. I'm going, I'm going off, you know going off and I'll come back, I don't know when, someday. 
No, that isn't what he says. As he ascends to the Oval Office of the universe, as he ascends to fill all things everywhere with himself, he says, and I am with you, not absent from you, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we'll get to what we mean by what happens at the end of the age. Oh, something wonderful, in fact. So Jesus ascends to the heavens and is always with us. How does that work? He ascends to the heavens and he's always with us. Well, you have to stop thinking about the heavens as a distant place. You know, where is heaven? Well, you know, you, I'll tell you what, just head out toward the Andromeda galaxy, 2.3 million light years away, hang a left, you can't miss it. Uh, no, a heaven is not a distant place. Heaven is a different space. I want to say different dimension, but I'm not sure that's right. Heaven is all that isn't matter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Heaven is all that's not matter. And guess what? Most of it is space. Because everything that is, all the matter that is, all of the galaxies, all that is, at one point, 13.8 billion years ago, was a compressed singularity. And then it expanded. Creating matter, earth, and space, heavens, so that heaven is not out there somewhere. It's, it's right here. So it's right here. It's, it's, it's right here. So, so Jesus at the right hand of the Father doesn't mean way out there somewhere. No, right, right here. Always within reach. Just one step away. Just, just, it, it, it's, it's like it's right here. with us until the end of the age. What is the end of the age? Well, the second coming. This is the, the parousia is the, is the Greek word, the appearing of Christ. So at the second coming, Christ doesn't have to come from a long ways. He just appears. Thursday night... Following Ascension Day, Thursday night, I had a dream. And I dreamed that I was in a big city. And before me was the cityscape, you know, it was a big city. It was a nice city. Tall buildings, wide avenues, shops, stores, restaurants, cars, people out walking. Might have been Barcelona, big city. And I'm looking at this big city. It's nice, but it's, you know, it's what you expect from a big city. And suddenly sirens went off, very loud sirens. And they were, sirens were going off. And it was like they were right there. And everybody froze for a second because everybody knew in my dream what the sirens meant. It meant kingdom come. It meant, here it comes. Everybody knew that the sirens meant it's the day of the Lord. It's arrived. And there were different responses. Some were excited. Some were terrified. And then as the sirens were going off, announcing the day of the Lord, the parousia, 
Suddenly, the cityscape that I was seeing, it was as if it was now being torn, like it was just fabric, and it was being torn open to reveal something else. And what it revealed was another cityscape that was not entirely different, except that it was. It's hard to describe. It's as if invisible hands were tearing open that fabric of what I was seeing and revealing what was behind it, which was another city. Not entirely different, but really it was because it was so much more beautiful. And it was so much brighter. It was, everything was bright. It was just astounding colors. And it was so bright. And for that moment, I understood that this world is ephemeral. This world is a gray town that is passing away. We see moments of beauty, but I tell you, that which is to come far exceeds it. And I saw something that was enduring. I saw, I saw that this, that this, well, the, the writer of Hebrews says that, that here we have no enduring city. But I saw the city which was to come. And it was more substantial, not less substantial. Stop thinking that spirit is wispy and matter is substantial. In fact, spirit is more substantial because it's eternal than matter. Matter decays, matter falls apart, matter changes. Spirit is true substance. Now, the Apostle Paul, it was, it was, a, it was a fantastic dream. The, the really great dreams always stop before you want them to. I just got a glimpse of, I said, oh, I want to explode. And I woke up. Then you try to go back to sleep and have that dream again. Never works. Not for me anyway. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in the heavens. Our citizenship is in the heavens. I, I pray, and I really do, I mean this, I pray for you. And one of the things I pray for you daily is that that would be very real to you. If the idea of your true citizenship belonging to the kingdom of the heavens becomes real to you, then Ascension Day will be a big deal. Instead of just, oh, was that today? I don't even know what it is. Ascension Day is always on a Thursday because it's 40 days after Easter. And it can come as early as April 30th or as late as June 3rd, but it's almost always some Thursday in May. Which means that periodically it lands on the same day as the National Day of Prayer. I should say that the American National Day of Prayer. So some years... Ascension Day and the American National Day of Prayer are the same Thursday in May. I don't have to tell you which one gets ignored and which one takes precedent. But all that does is indicate, I mean, that the National Day of Prayer far, far exceeds the recognition in America given to Ascension Day, indicates that our American citizenship, in fact, is more real to us than our kingdom of heaven citizenship. Ouch. That's what Perry said on the front row. She said, ouch. Yeah, that's a problem. 
So which citizenship was more real for the Apostle Paul, who speaks of citizenship belonging to the heavens? His Roman citizenship or his heavenly citizenship? Well, you know the answer. Now, he doesn't dismiss his Roman citizenship. He plays that card when he needs to. They're about to beat him. He says, hey, you know I am a Roman citizen. No, we didn't know that. Okay, sorry. We're backing off now. So he, he, he makes use of his Roman citizenship as it's advantageous to him. But of course, his primary allegiance is, is to his true citizenship, the citizenship of the heavens. Because there is our accidental, temporal citizenship. So you, you're a citizen of Mexico or Jamaica or the Maldives or, I'm trying to think of countries, Madagascar, Nigeria, India, the United States. So there is your, your accidental, I mean, it's just a philosophical accidental because you could have been born here or there you were born here, so you got that one. It's our accidental temporal citizenship, and then there is our, our true eternal citizenship because we belong to the city that is eternal in the heavens that does not fade away. Our citizenship is in the heavens where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, but our sojourn at this, at this present moment is on the earth. Are you sticking with me? Our, our citizenship, our true citizenship, the passport that matters has us connected to the kingdom of the heavens where Christ reigns at the right hand of God. But our sojourn in the present moment is here on earth so that, so that we are in fact expatriates. You know, an expatriate, that, that's someone who belongs to one nation but lives in another. We are, we are foreigners living abroad. We are strangers in a strange land. I'm, that's going to be my next series. I'm going to get through today and then Pentecost Sunday, then Trinity Sunday, then I'm going to preach a series on being strangers in a strange land. So we're here, but our true citizenship belongs to somewhere else. So our churches are to be colonies of heaven on earth. You know, the British started going to India three or four hundred years ago and and uh, they colonized it and we, we think of that today is almost entirely negative I understand that but just bear with me and so the British you know you have a lot of British people living in India but but they bring a lot of the culture of England with them and so there is going to be tea time in the afternoon that's not what Indians do but the British say well you know we may be in India but we're going to have our tea time uh, and it actually did transform India because they now have tea as well. <laughs> well, that's who we are. We, our citizenship is from the heavens, but we're here. But we're trying to bring as much of what is part of the culture of the heavens to earth. We're trying to bring heaven's tea time. Whatever that means, you know, what, whatever is popular, whatever is uh, the way of life, whatever is habitual in heaven, we are bringing it into this colony of heaven called the church. But for that to be real, we have to set our mind on things above. 
not on things below. So Colossians 3, 1, 2. Colossians 3, 1, 2. So, if you have been raised with Christ, baptism is about a burial and a resurrection in Christ. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. All right, in Paul's metaphorical language, above doesn't mean like over the top of your head. Because we're spinning around anyway. <laughs> it, it, when Paul, in his metaphorical language, speaks about things that are above, he doesn't mean things that are distant and far away. He means things that are better, things that are superior. The world as it is. I mean, the world as it is, right? What is today? May 16th? Is that what it is? 2021. As it is in the United States, in Israel, Palestine, in wherever, Nigeria, in Taiwan, wherever, China, wherever. The world as it is, is fallen. It's broken. Thankfully, it's temporal. That's the saving grace right there. The world as it is, is fallen. It's broken. How many of you know there's some things broken about our world? That not everything's operating quite right. Okay. The world as it is, is fallen. It is broken, and thankfully, it's temporal. John says, John says in 1 John 2, 17, he says, this world, the world as it is, the fallen, broken world, is passing away. That's what I saw in my dream, that, that I thought that this was the, you know, the most real thing there could be, and then suddenly the sirens go off, and then what I see is just being, it's, it's nothing. It's, and it reveals the real thing that we're waiting for. Okay, so the world as it is is fallen, broken, thankfully, temporal. The world above is, see, there's a world that's fallen, but there's a world that's above is redeemed. And it's healed, and it's eternal. It's a kingdom that doesn't pass away. It's a kingdom that has foundations. And the baptized belong to the world above here and now. Our citizenship isn't here. We're here, but our citizenship isn't here. Our citizenship is there. But we're here, but we're bringing the culture of, of above here below. Now, the great theologian St. John says two important things about love and the world. And it shows up repeatedly in both his gospel and his epistles. I'll give you the most famous one. John famously writes, For God so loved the world. What did God love? The world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him might not perish, but have the life of the age to come. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why not? Because God loves the world. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Everybody say amen. And then John turns around in 1 John 2, 15, he says, Love not the world, nor the things of the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the 
the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away in all of that corruption, but those that abide in the will of God abide forever. So we have, we have this seeming paradox. God so loved the world, love not the world. God loves the world, don't you love the world? What's going on here? Well, it's not that hard to figure out. It's not really a paradox. We are to join God in loving the good world that God created and God intends. God has an intention for humanity that is good. I mean, when he was creating, what does he keep saying? Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's, it's nice to be an artist and you're going, oh, that's good. That's really good. So we're to love the good world that God created and intends. And by the way, that includes the planet. That includes the planet. It's good. It's intended by God. We're to love that. At the same time, though, we are not to love the fallen world that is organized primarily around greed, pride, lust, violent power. We're not to love that world. So there is a world that should be loved, God's good world. And there is a world that should not be loved because it's gone wrong. So, for example, I'll give, you, I'll give you three examples. A world where nuclear weapons are even conceivable is not a world to love. It's a world in need of repentance and salvation. Right? And in a world where humans use their highest technology to create weapons that can kill an entire city in the blink of an eye, that's not a world to love. That's a world in need of repentance and salvation. Or, for example, a world where racism can exist is not a world to be loved. It's a world in need of repentance and salvation because racism is just the most vile form of scapegoating, and scapegoating is the Satan. And so, a world of racism is not a world to be loved. It's a world in need of repentance and salvation. A world where there are billionaires and a billion people in abject poverty is not a world to be loved. It's a world in need of repentance and salvation. Let's unpack that just a second. In a world of billionaires where people own, where people have a million million dollars and many of them many times over you have that group of people there's about 3,000 of them that have at least a million million dollars a billion dollars and then you have 1.3 billion people living in abject poverty which is is defined as this less than two dollars a day not two dollars a day two dollars a day you're just poor but you're not really poor but if you're under, if you're under two under two dollars a day, just I, I would say, imagine trying to live on that. You can't. I can't either. I mean, your budget. Okay, you got fourteen dollars this week for everything: housing, clothing, food, transportation, everything. That's it. Figure it out. So you have one point three billion that live like that, four times the population of the United States. A world where there are billionaires and a billion people 
living in abject poverty is not a world system to love. It's a world in need of repentance and salvation. Colossians 3, verse 2. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. To set our mind on things above is to rise above the world as it is. See, those who are, who are raised with Christ, those who belong to Christ, those who say, my King, my Lord, is at the right hand of the Father in the heavens, do not believe that the world as it is is the, world, the, the way the world must be. We have some prophetic imagination. We believe it can be and should be other. Now, we can't, we can't force anybody. This isn't about that because the kingdom of God is without force. We can't force anybody to live that way. We can bear witness to it, but we can't force anybody. But you know what we can do? We can say, you know what? Since I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, I'm going to live like that one here and now. I'm going to set my mind on things above. The better things, the higher things, the more noble things, the things to come. I'm going to put my mind there. Which is why I insist, I know half of you don't believe me, but it's why I insist that politically I'm not right, I'm not left, I'm not center. I'm seeking to be, it's a struggle, but I'm seeking to be above. Above. Because that's really where my citizenship is. It's where my politics are. With Christ above, seated at the right hand of the Father. So every day we pray Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? How? Oh. That, that is a call for us to think about it. All right. If heaven were running the show, how would it be done? Huh. Well, we pray for that to come. And so we, what we do is we, we seek a better world where the will of God is always done. And we seek to bring that world into being here and now. We do it by how we pray, how we believe, how we live, and especially by how we love. If there is a better world above, what is above all in the better world? Well, Paul tells us, Colossians 3, 14. He goes on, he talks about everybody's involved in this and it's going to change your culture. But then he says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Above all, in the better world above, is love. Above all, in the better world above, is love. I want you to get that. Above all, in the better world above, is love. And we need to set our minds on that love and seek to rise up. So that when we're tempted to retaliate to, to hate with hate, there's those haters out there, don't you hate them? So when we're tempted to respond to hate, to retaliate to hate with hate, Instead, we seek to rise above it. We ask Jesus to help us rise above the world of hate where death is king. 
No, I don't want a battle from beginning to end. I don't want a cycle of recycled revenge. I don't want to follow death and all of this, friends. That's this world down here. And Jesus came to get me out of that world. He came and said, I got you, BZ. Now, come on. But I don't want to, but, you know, my will's intact. I can fight him. I said, oh, no, I want to stay down here a little bit more because there's some haters I got to hate. No, I'm going to set my mind on things above and let Jesus help me come up high. In Colossians 1, Paul tells us that in Christ all things hold together. That was two weeks ago, Colossians 1. That Christ is the center that holds, he holds all things together. Then in Colossians 3, he says that love unites all things in harmony. Do you think those two things are related? That in Christ all things hold together, he's the center that holds. And that love is that which unites all things in harmony, yes. So that if I do hate the haters, if I do go the way of hate because they're bad, everybody knows they're bad, and they're so bad I'm going to hate them, we participate with the Satan in pushing things apart. But if we will choose to love, we participate with Christ in holding all things together. And that is, that is the primary purpose of contemplative prayer, of learning to sit with Jesus. It's to learn to not hate what is hateful but learn how somehow to hold all things together. And I say, yeah, I know, I know, I know it's hateful, but I also know they're still a child of God. They're still beloved by God. They're still part of the family, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna find a way with Christ to try to hold it all together. Because in Christ, all things hold together, and love unites everything in a, in a harmony. So, there is a kingdom above. I mean, I wish, how I wish I could show you the dream I had Thursday night. Yeah, Perry, I need, I need somebody with a special effects laboratory or whatever they have. I wish I could show you the dream I had Thursday night that just beyond this ephemeral gray shadow world that is passing away, there is a world that is more substantial, more real, a world that is better, more beautiful, more enduring. In fact, it's eternal, and it's above because it's better. But it's not out of reach. Because how does Jesus begin his preaching ministry? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Rethink everything. And believe this good news. It's above, but it's not out of reach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe this good news. Amen. Stand up with me. I feel happy. I know there's plenty to despair, but I've seen that which is to come. And I'm happy that this is not all there is. In fact, this is barely what there is. It's so ephemeral. It's so, it's so easy. Pretty soon it's torn away. 
And I'm happy that I can be a part of that. Even, even though I'm on a colony, I'm, I'm, part of, I'm part of that which is to come. By the way, the good news, the blessed hope is not we're going, but he's coming. Don't get it reversed. Amen. Let's get ready to come to the table of the Lord. Let's, let's confess robustly our Christian faith. Join with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's confess our sins because we still do sin. But at the end of our gospel reading, we heard that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed. So let's receive that forgiveness. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is His will that those who want Him should meet Him here. The body of Christ, broken for you. The blood of Christ, shed for you.